Hello, Lions of Liberty fans. And you know, one great way to start out your day is with a shot of whiskey. But if you're not an alcoholic, the next best way to start your day is with an amazing cup of coffee. And now you can order coffee, delicious coffee, and also support the Lions of Liberty. We have partnered with Anarcho Coffee to create our own brand of coffee known as the Morning Roar. And let me tell you, this coffee is delicious. I am saying that as someone who just drank two cups of it before I recorded this pre-roll. So I can tell you, I'm a little hyped up and I just had some delicious coffee and I'd like you to be able to start your day the same way. So I want you to head over to lionsofliberty.com slash coffee. You get a 10% discount with your very first order. And if you join the Lions of Liberty Pride for $10 or more per month, which you can do over at patreon.com slash lionsofliberty, you will then get a permanent 15% discount on all future orders. And you're going to want future orders after you try this, let me tell you. But first, give it a shot. Head over to lionsofliberty.com slash coffee and start your day with a morning roar. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. All right, friends, I am now joined by a set of great libertarian activists for a little semi-edition of Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor. Let's bring him in, starting with someone who's been on the show so many times that I have completely lost count. He is the founder of several activist organizations, including People Against the NDA and We Do Better. Dan Johnson, welcome on back. Uh, glad to be back on, Mark. Yes, yes. And as we were discussing before the show, uh, you come on the show anytime you have an announcement to make to the world. So uh, here are a rumor that you might even have another one to make today. So I'm very excited to hear it. I do indeed. But not right now. And, and uh, you know, as a, as a Pride member, I guess I actually listen to the show now, too. So Yes, excellent. Yes, uh, one of our newest members of the Lions of Liberty Pride, our supporters on Patreon, the one and only Dan Johnson. We're thrilled to have you here. And um, why don't you do, just do actually, well, We'll get to you in a minute. I just want to do my introductions, then we'll go in. I, I'm the kind of host that works out how he's going to do the show as we do it live. So, <laughs> uh, Next up, we have the founder of the incredible, the incredible edible. It's not edible as far as I know, but the incredible DonorC app. I'm pleased <laughs> to welcome back my friend, Gret Glyer. Gret, welcome on back. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. The timing is perfect for both Dan and I, Brent, with all of our announcements. All the big, <laughs> all the big announcements. Yes, that's no uh, pre- no pressure, Brent, and no pressure at all. Yes, yeah, Brent especially. I can't wait to hear his. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is the show where we laugh at in jokes that started before the show even was recorded. This, this is the fun, fun stuff. <laughs> and uh, as referenced there, lastly, but in no way leastly, he is making his very first appearance on Lions of Liberty. He is the vice chair of the Libertarian Party of North Carolina and the founder of the Liberty Coalition for Disaster Relief. Very pleased to welcome Brent DeRitter. What's up, Brent? Hey. Hey, boss. Thanks for having me on, man. Excellent. Now, uh, longtime fans of the show will notice that uh, a certain question was missing from my introductions to all of you, and uh, I just figured I would just ask you all at the same time. I think I know the answer already, but I just got to confirm, are you guys all ready to roar? Roar. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Now, as I mentioned, this is a, a semi-edition of Libertarians and Liverpool's Drinking Liquor. Uh, I am currently drinking a little bit of wine, and uh, it's, a, it's a Cabernet. I'm not going to name the brand. It's not important. I don't give out free promo- promotions over here. That's, I'm not in the charity biz like some of you guys are. Um, but uh, I'm curious, are any of you are joining me today uh, with the alcoholic beverages. Dan, I, I remember the first time you were on this show, or one of the first times you were on this show, uh, we did a drinking show, and I asked you what you were drinking, and, and you just revealed that you were like 19 at the time. But but it's, that was many years ago, and uh, you are now of age, so you can now freely admit if you're having an alcoholic beverage. I, I will uh, be willing to freely admit uh, I'm actually going to be uh, taking a shot of uh, wild turkey uh, oh. in in honor of uh, the uh, the late great uh, Chairman Richard Fry, who helped write a lot of the early laws that I I worked on. So, well, cheers. Yes, I cheers. don't know who that is, but he seems worthy of a cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Are you doing that shot right now? As as we, Abs- as we absolutely, I, I'm seeing the video, so I can confirm this is a rare breed. <laughs> Dan is actually drinking whiskey. I'm so I'm so proud of you, Dan. Oh, let's see how tall it pours. 
from a from a law abiding youngin to a, a, a whiskey drinking activist. It's great to see. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. <I> mean, <laughs> All right, Grant. What about you? What are you sipping on over there? Uh, this is a Jack and Coke. I just got Ooh, married wait. this past September, and uh, we don't keep a lot of liquor around the house. Other things, Smart move. but Bad but liquor, no. But just for this podcast, I got some Jack Daniels. I can't even find the front. There we go. And uh, that's what I'm drinking. Not the whole thing, just a few sips, but I'm enjoying it. All right. And lastly, Brent, I know you don't uh, you don't really drink alcohol, but um, how are you? <laughs> I don't really drink alcohol very often. Um, I am not sober. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. And uh, the audience can interpret that however they like. <laughs> it's, sort of, it's sort of a postmodern statement. What is sober? I don't. It can be whatever you want it to be, but Brent is not it. Whatever it is. So, <laughs> welcome, gentlemen. I'm very excited to be doing this. Been trying to organize this deal for a while, and I'm glad I could get all you guys together. And uh, we have been incorporating this format into our show a little more often here. This sort of loosey goosey format where we just kind of kick back, have some drinks, and talk about some things. And uh, I wanted to bring in people that are I've really taken a lot of action in the. I say in the libertarian community, but it's not like your activism is in any way relegated to, to libertarian community. Quite the opposite. You guys are doing work just in the communities that need help, in various communities that need help, whether they're overseas, like a lot of the projects Grant works on, or you know, disaster relief here, or and that sort of thing. And either way, you guys are all taking the kind of actions that help everybody. They don't help people. They're not just focused on you know a certain political group that we agree with. And that's that's why I really you know admire all the work you guys are doing because you guys are demonstrating basically the philosophy that we spend so much time talking about here. You guys are showing people that it can actually work, and that not 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 in a theoretical way, not that it can work, that it literally does work and it's happening and it's happening right now. So I just want to start off by cheersing all of you and applauding you for the work you've done in this community, so much so that you earned your spot on this prestigious program. Uh, so, so good to be here. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Mark. Uh, now, now but thank you. Yeah, why, what, who am I thanking? I don't know why. I don't know who I'm thanking. <laughs> the podcast gods that made, made this all possible today. But uh, as we sort of referenced earlier uh, a couple of you have some interesting announcements maybe all of you do i don't know the tbd but uh i want to start with dan because as i mentioned uh, you i think have literally been on this pod- podcast every time you have a new organization to start or a new <laughs> announcement um you know when you get married that will be announced on here when you have a child that will also be announced we will do the naming ceremony on this show any major event in dan johnson's <laughs> life will be eternally connected to lions of liberty so, what do you got going on right now? Uh, I assume it has something to do with We Do Better, but maybe it doesn't. I'm going in blind here. It does indeed have something to do with We Do Better. So uh, uh, We Do Better is uh, about a year and a half old now. We launched in uh, August of 17. And uh, um, we launched with pretty much two missions, uh, to connect people with organizations that deliver better outcomes than the government and to empower people to send their tax dollars to those organizations. And uh, on May 15th, we are launching uh, We Do Better News, which is a weekly news show that focuses entirely on all the different ways that people, organizations, and companies are delivering better outcomes than the government. So, for example, um, in one of our shows, we had how you can use apps to stop the robocallers on your phone, and we don't need the FTC. To oh, I want to know that one. I will be listening and downloading that one for sure. <laughs> um, we, we will sometimes – really, the genesis of this show was uh, we were doing disaster relief in Puerto Rico and in Miami, and uh, we we're sitting there with two million pounds of aid in a warehouse trying to get to Puerto Rico and FEMA's blocking us. And at the same time, CNN, Fox, ABC, CBS, NBC are all interviewing FEMA about what we should do about disasters and how much solutions the government's going to bring. And so is this ridiculous notion that most of the solutions are coming from people and most of the press is going to the government. And so we intend to change that. It's a half an hour news show. We'll uh, interview guests. Uh, we'll do deep dives. We did a deep dive into volunteer firefighting on our first test show. Um, so we'll we'll get into serious stuff, but it, it's basically, we want to change the conversation around human needs. Uh, we want to expand it so that we're not just talking about house cards and you know political drama, who said what about who. Uh, and we want to change it so that the government isn't the only solution uh, in the news media. So half an hour show 
Wednesdays at, at uh, 7 p.m. Eastern, and it'll be launching May 15th. You go to wedobetter.org and sign up for more information. Awesome. So is this going to be like a live show, or is it also going to be available as a podcast afterwards? Both kind of thing? It's going to be a live show. So uh, like last year, uh, I asked you for a bunch of advice on podcasting. Yes, I was, I was, I was just thinking, is this what this conversation was? About? So, so you eventually the scenes. Eventually, this led to it's a it's going to be a Facebook Live uh, video show. So it's it's not going to be um, record. It'll be up there if people want to watch it later. But uh, we're kind of cheating by doing it live because then people don't expect all of the editing that uh, they would expect from a recorded <laughs> show. So don't worry, I'm doing that same kind of show with this one. I'm not editing any of this. <laughs> I'm going to give them a preview of what it'll be like. This is all for promotional purposes, of course. <laughs> is the preview like all of us laughing at inside jokes? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah pretty much. <laughs> so far, we're we, we do a bunch of funny shit before the show. Then we laugh about it completely out of context during the show. It's a great format. It's really brilliant. I think it's going to take off. <laughs> it is great. So it's those called are... We Did Funny earlier. And you don't, you don't get to hear it <laughs> in the past. So, <laughs> so uh, for those who listen, you guys heard me uh, announce the launch of We Do Better. We've introduced bills in a couple states on charitable credits, allowing people to send their tax dollars to organizations that deliver better outcomes than the government. But really, our, our number one focus right now is... Uh, we realize that the examples we throw out uh, and, and you, examples like um, in San Diego, there's an organization called uh, Saved in America, which finds missing children. I mean, people think that's the exclusive domain of the government, but this is an organization of former Navy SEALs, uh, private investigators and law enforcement, and uh, they've rescued 70 children since 2014. Uh, and, uh, they do it at a cost of about to the organization, about $7,000 per kid. They find them in about nine days. You, you're looking at law enforcement. You're looking at a million dollars, 400, you know, a $40 million manhunt. They might find the kid. They might not. Uh, and this is just one of many organizations that we could say once. And when we said once people were like, wow, that's, that's awesome. But it doesn't sink in because the media is constantly covering government solutions. And so this is designed to change that narrative. And uh, basically, whenever the government comes up with a solution, we're going to have a better one on the show. I love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, Gret, we'll get to your announcement first, but I know Brent is just itching to give us his big announcement. Uh, I'm somewhat teasing, but really, Brent, I want to give you time now, uh, since you have not been on the show before, to really introduce yourself a little bit more and get into mostly how you got into uh, this uh, disaster relief business i guess you could say it's not really a business but um how did you get into it how did you end up forming uh, the liberty coalition for disaster relief what inspired it and what kind of work have you guys been doing okay uh well so my daughter uh who was 12 at the time we were watching the news coverage of uh, hurricane harvey and it was pretty depressing and pretty sad and we were talking about how sad it was and she's uh kind of a go-getter and she decided that we needed to do something about it so we started talking about what we could do and maybe doing a fundraiser or a food drive. And uh, it blew up. Libertarians heard about what we were doing and what started out to be a very small, minor effort turned into something pretty big. And uh, for Harvey, I think we raised over $10,000. Um, we had rescue. And, and honestly, I've done absolutely nothing. I've, I haven't done anything that I couldn't do in my underwear at the house. Uh, We've had other people doing so much and guys going out into the water and actually rescuing people. And we experienced the same stuff Dan did is FEMA wants to stop you and then take all the credit for everything. And we, uh, we watched guys, libertarians, I say guys, guys and gals going down to Texas and getting around roadblocks and sneaking through with their supplies and making sure it got to the right places and actually doing water rescues and, one of our, uh, you talked about us working internationally, which we haven't gotten to done yet, do yet, but one of our um, volunteers has done it and actually went to I, Puerto Rico. I guess that's international. Uh, went Close to Puerto enough. Rico right? <laughs> to help out and, and did some pretty massive things there. And it's just, it's snowballed. It's snowballed because libertarians enjoy being the answer when someone asks, well, if it's not for government, who will? And the answer is me. You, all of us, but they don't we always will. like that answer. We need to explain it further. <laughs> all right. And uh, have you come up with a, a announcement in the last five minutes? <laughs> I was going to start a new news network. 
uh, but I decided not to. We're actually, my wife and kids and I are moving on to a uh, houseboat here in the next couple of months. And within the next two years, we're looking to launch and travel the Great Loop, which is up the eastern coast, across uh, rivers into the Great Lakes, down the Mississippi and uh, into the Gulf and then back into Florida. And the goal is to stop all along the way and help grow libertarian affiliates and teach people how to sell the idea of libertarianism. So, well, that sounds like an announcement to me. It totally is. It might not be a world, you know, I assume you talked about this with your wife before you, uh, before you announced it here. <laughs> nah. Honey, I was just listening to lions of Liberty. Uh, apparently we're living on a boat. That's what's happening. Yeah. No, I, I caught a buzz and then you guys dared me. So, and, uh, Every everyone needs to donate to to Brent's campaign for his houseboat. I think you have like a GoFundMe or something like that. Or did I imagine that in my head at the same time as you weren't talking to your oh, wife? No, no. <laughs> no, no, no. We're uh, we're plugging along ourselves. We got it. But uh, definitely, when we get out in the water and and start traveling, um, we'll be we will be uh, spreading the good word and teaching libertarians how to sell the idea of liberty based on philanthropy for sure so prepare to donate to brent <laughs> all right get ready get ready to roar get ready to donate uh finally speaking of places you're going to be donating soon hopefully to the donor c app to various projects Gret, you also have a, an announcement that uh, is actually not live as we speak but will be live by the time this airs so announce away yeah so the announcement will come tomorrow morning for our time, but will have already been announced time by the time this airs. So and <laughs> it's, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, for a long time, here's the announcement. For a long time, Donor C has resisted the idea of embracing the 501c3 legal structure. Obviously, when you uh, are a 501c3, donors get tax deduction. And that's a, a great thing. I'm glad donors get that. But there's also sometimes uh, some inefficiencies that come along with that legal structure, which I can get into. But you kind of have to be a charity nerd to really appreciate that conversation. Um, but Donor C, so Donor C has resisted that idea because we wanted to be as efficient as possible. And we've really been looking at our various possibilities. And we've discovered that there's a way to pioneer a brand new charity structure and we're calling it hybrid tax deduction and so starting tomorrow for us uh, some of the projects on donor c will be will have a tax deduction icon on them and some of them will not and the ones with the tax deduction icon will be 100 percent tax deductible so you'll be able to donate to those projects specifically and get a tax right off and for the ones that don't have that icon you can still donate to them you can still help someone but for people who don't line item their taxes they're not going to care either way yeah, and obviously you don't need to go, you know, into all the the nerd details, but can you just give like a, a simple version of why like how do does becoming a 5013C if I said that right? Uh how, how does that just yeah. add to like the, the paperwork or are there just certain like um conditions that a certain charitable project has to meet? I mean, what what kind of complications does it add and why did you decide it's actually worth maybe going through some of those? Uh, Dan Dan's so actually holding up a ton of paperwork part- right now, so I think this is a Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyone who has started a 501c3 knows that the process just to start one takes months. It's it's not actually that we like I have a 501c3 organization that I started before donorcy. I'm very familiar with the process and I actively chose not to go down that route down that route. Um and one of one of the biggest reasons for that is 501c3 organizations because uh because they can accept donations and instead of an LLC or a business, they trade value for money, right? So they, you give someone a product and in exchange for money, a 501c3 organization, what they do is they trade money for nothing. You just give, you just give the organization money and there's no expectation of what happens in return. Um, and so because of that, the organization is not incentivized to use that money as efficiently as possible because of the different, the differentiating legal structure. So it doesn't always happen, but it's very, very, very common that 501c3s trend towards inefficiency. That's one of about 10 reasons I could give you, but it's probably the most uh, the most prominent and, and relevant to your it's audience. It's like a 501c3, uh, speaking as someone who has like, I don't know, two or three of them. Uh, it's like a 501c3 gets like a tenth of the bureaucratic inefficiencies that the government has 
when you when you apply for C3 status. Mm -hmm. the, the IRS kind of like forces you into a bureaucracy and uh, a certain way of doing things that isn't always the best way. And, and as Gret said, kind of removes some of the incentives to do a good job. Yeah, you were, you were holding up a bunch of uh, That's a paperwork one. earlier when, when Gret was talking about it. Was that actual 5013C paperwork? Or that is that is absolutely a 1023 <laughs> form uh, from the IRS <laughs> that I have sitting on my desk. Um, but no, they they uh, it, it is certainly uh, valuable to be a C3 in a lot of ways. And I don't I don't want to demean people who go down that route, especially since I've done it a couple of times. Um, but uh, as have I. I agree, I agree uh, with that. Especially if you're working in the charity community, it's almost like a reputation thing. Like, if you're not a C3, they're like, okay, who are you? Um, you but might just I, be some guy who takes money, and who knows, <laughs> who knows what happens after that. Right. Uh, so there's some value to it, but there are certain... Not everything can be solved by charity, uh, like the specific act of charity, and so there are certain things where it, it doesn't work as well, and having to report to the IRS and having certain restrictions on what you can do uh, and restructures you have to have, like having a board and, and various, uh, anti-self-interest policies, things like that, that, uh, that can make it more inefficient. Well, that brings me to a question I, I kind of want to toss out there for discussion for everybody. And Brent, you had mentioned this a little bit earlier, so maybe you could kind of pick it up here because you had mentioned like really running and, and Dan did as well, uh, running into, you know, actual government agencies, like maybe literally getting physically in the way of, of some of your work. But I just want to toss out there some of the challenges that you've all faced in uh, bringing a lot of the visions that you have to reality, whether they're challenges from government or otherwise. But obviously that's for, for us libertarians, that's a pretty easy way to start and one that's always going to be there. So, uh, you know, take it wherever you want. But Brent, if you want to start describing some of the sort of uh, issues that you had in, in delivering, uh, you know, help for disaster relief, you know, fire away. Yeah, sure. Uh, people, people, we're getting back to us quite a bit uh, during Harvey. And, and that's actually why we didn't do quite as much in North Carolina when North Carolina needed us more recently um, was that government only wanted to work with certain charitable organizations and certain rescue teams. Uh, meanwhile, while they're vetting organizations and, and slowing the process, there were people in the water that needed help. I know people were, were uh, dying in Lumberton, North Carolina. There were folks in, in, Texas that were dying and begging for help and and we were getting stopped everywhere we went. We had supplies going in and as I understand it, uh, and, and this just comes from uh, word of mouth from my uh, volunteers, but there was quite a bit of uh, FEMA stopping folks and trying to take supplies to uh, redistribute that uh, they wanted supplies donated to them rather than taken to it, the actual victims. Wait, so um, so FEMA was, was physically yeah. confiscating supplies that you guys were in the process of delivering to people because I guess they're going to distribute it better or more fair, or is it suddenly we're, we're in, you know, a weird socialist disaster relief uh, philosophy here? Yeah. Yes. So uh, they were, they were pretty, they were pretty adamant that they were going to get it. Of course, my volunteers were uh, mostly libertarians. <laughs> so they went in at, without being, they went in uh, well prepared and they with automatic kept weapons, I, I presume. <laughs> just kidding. It was recreational nukes, obviously. Yeah, I was just about to say the recreational <laughs> nukes. Yeah. Uh, no, we, we ran into a lot of that and now we're running into a lot of uh, bureau bureaucracy issues and we're trying to get our 501 status and we're trying to decide the best way to go to go about doing that and, and trying to get set up so that all 50 states can donate because we frankly can't afford to take on the the tax liability ourselves. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's kind of similar to what Dan referenced in terms of the you know the five hundred one. Uh, I, I always confuse it three C C three whatever it is a bunch of numbers and letters uh, that you have that you have to become to do certain things. Uh, <laughs> is that like do you, if you if you maintain that status, will you will like organizations like FEMA leave you alone more when you're going into certain places, or I mean, will that will actually help you you know in terms of actual delivery of services to people that need help it will yeah getting getting uh a lot of times you have to register with simply like uh county level uh state or county level and state level governments um and that'll help us out a lot and then yeah 501 is going to help us our 501c3 will help us to uh take donations from across the country and and get things processed for uh for disaster relief efforts in the future so actually uh 
the Liberty Coalition for Disaster Relief is, is taking about a year to step back, reassess what's going on, because we were just trying to keep caught up with all the disasters. We're ste stepping back, taking a, a little while to get caught up and, and get our paperwork filled out and make ourselves legal so that we can actually do some good work. Because it turns out when things are fairly organized through the state government like they were in North Carolina, it was just there was no accomplishing anything. Dan, great. What about you guys? What kind of sort of uh, roadblocks have you run into? Uh, you know, obviously, besides the paperwork, and maybe, maybe that is the biggest roadblock in, in many ways. In terms of government and efficiency? Yeah, in terms of whatever you want. <laughs> in terms of whatever you want to talk about. I mean, they, you know, this is a, that's the great <laughs> thing about this loosey-goosey format. We can go wherever we want. I mean, there, there may be, you know, obviously uh, we like to focus on the inefficiencies of government, but maybe there's other obstacles that I'm not even thinking of. I mean, and obviously in your case, in many instances, I, a lot of the uh, the projects you're working on are international. So I don't know what kind of, you know, if you've, if you've had any sort of resistance from local government or, you know, international local government, government so to speak. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to bring up is, uh, you know, for all of the things we could say about the U.S. government, um, it's kind of like this dreamland compared to some of the places that uh, we have to work in overseas. I mean, the, the level of corruption, the, the level, I'll say, I'll put it this way, at least in the U.S., they hide corruption. <laughs> in other places in the world, they just, it's just like blatant. It's just like it's out in the open and you you know that it's there and uh I'm not sure which one uh, and better. there's just some stuff it's an interesting, interesting thought is it better to I, that's a fair point yeah go either way <laughs> yeah yeah at least it's like in the US if you're found out to be corrupt that's like the right, end right. of your career in some of these other places you're found out to be corrupt and then you fix the next election and then you you get four more right. years so that's kind of the the difference in in stuff so yeah i would say some of the stuff i've run into working with overseas uh government entities has has been um you just want to stay as far away from them as possible I, and and a lot of times it's like well-intentioned but just so unbelievably um incompetent it's it's a it's a whole it's a whole different level yeah like specific examples that that spring to mind in terms of something you've you know ran into on the ground yeah well i mean sure so yeah here's here's a here's a really strange thing that happened so if, i don't know if any of you are familiar with the book kisses for katie it's about a girl who was like 19 years old who went to uganda and she adopted 19 orphan girls and she just lives in uganda and she adopted all these kids her story became like a new york times bestseller and then it prompted all these other young girls to go to uganda and it, it created this like orphan industry um and so the ugandan government, uh, this was probably about three years ago, the Ugandan government basically decided, the, the details of this I don't have completely, but the, they, they did something to the effect of putting an end to the, the vast majority of orphanages in Uganda, which is not a, a good solution for the orphans. It's a good solution to kind of like prevent this weird influx of, uh, of, of, girls from America coming over, but, but at the same time, there were a bunch of orphans that were left uh, hanging out to dry because of that situation. And it made it really difficult to start orphanages in the country of Uganda. Just a really strange incident. Why exactly were they so concerned about the, the influx of young American girls? I mean, I mean, I didn't mean you know, <laughs> to be crude, but in, in a crude way, but I mean, just, well, it was, it wasn't, what is the yeah. concern about it? In, in That's a good I mean, question. It wasn't, it, yeah, it wasn't necessarily the influx of them. It was it was that the uh, some of the Ugandan uh, some of the Ugandans had learned how to take advantage of them, um, and had learned how to how to create fake orphanages and, and and things like that. So they were they were like basically they were it was creating this this industry for orphans, and uh, then it created a demand for orphans when there were there was actually a greater demand for orphans than there were actual orphans. So you had to kind of create orphans um, and you can do that in all sorts of different ways. Not, not as bad as you're thinking. I mean, my mind's <laughs> racing with a million possibilities, bad. but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ranging from the terrible. But to the, I mean like the, the basic idea. Yeah. The basic idea is that you kind of start skewing the definition of what an orphanage or an orphan is. So a so 35 year old guy parents, there. He's like, I'm an orphan. You know, I need, I need yeah. an American girl to take care of me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean things like I mean things that were were kind of like stretching the definition of of what it was and what was and they were using that to get on the funds. Were, were they trying to just like lure American women there for nefarious purposes, then, or was it more like a money money type thing? It was a money, oh, 100 percent money. Thing. Give us two thousand yeah, dollars, and we will set you up to yeah. 
we're we're an orphanage, and if you send us money, we're going to build uh, a nice big building for our orphanage, and we'll pocket half of it. But you'll get to see this nice building that we're gonna um, that we're gonna build. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of a money thing, and, and there were a lot of people who took advantage of this of this thing. And so the government came in, made a sweeping regulation, and uh, not only took out a lot of the bad orphanages, but obviously a lot of the good orphanages as well. And so, yeah, this how to deal with with that with with, with those things. It's a very sophisticated. Um, it, it takes a lot of nuance and something that the government, especially in Uganda, did not do a good job at. Government doesn't do nuance well. Like, like I realize this is like, you know, uh, it's freaking to the choir to libertarians, but government just, they, they see they're, they're masters at like, there's one bad apple. So we have to burn down the orchard. So we need to ban app. Yeah, that's that's even better. Burn down the orchard. <laughs> we need to ban All yeah. future apple production must cease. <laughs> Because this one was just, ugh, it was gross. So. Enough of that. metaphor I have ever heard. I swear to God, that was great. <laughs> and then they see some guy named Johnny Appleseed coming along and they shoot him. Because he might build, he might start, he might start another orphanage or another orphanage. <laughs> I'm mixing up orphanage and or- or- orchardage now. See, this is the line. This is what makes these shows fun. <laughs> I drink so I can mi- mispronounce things like my co-host Brian McWilliams, but he does it without <laughs> drinking. Uh, are there any more stories that, that stand out to you guys? Uh, you know, on that end of just I don't know if you have any Dan of, of like maybe uh, pushback you've received at the local level. I know you specifically deal with a lot of sort of local governments and trying to get them to to adopt like you know some of the ideas behind your organization, allowing a certain amount of taxpayer dollars to go towards these private organizations that, as we said, do much better. So, what kind of resistance have you run into? I mean, Besides all I mean, it. politicians hate us like with a burning, fiery passion. Um, well, you're literally there trying to make them as irrelevant as possible. So kind of <laughs> like we're like, hey, we can like have all the people in your state do your job better than you. Uh, and it really doesn't go over well. But um, would you like to help us point that out? <laughs> right. Uh, please do a press conference with us. So how irrelevant you are. But um, the uh, something I can point out that really just infuriated the the, the hell out of me, honestly, uh, was uh, when we were delivering disaster relief in Puerto Rico. So so we were part of a like a six organization coalition, and uh, uh, one of our guys had a lot of experience in logistics. There was really no one else who did, so he handled a lot of the shipping, basically twenty four seven, three sixty five for uh, four months uh, in Miami and, and Puerto Rico. And, um, one of the things that was, I was absolutely infuriating to me. So you, you had, uh, remember the debate between, uh, Donald Trump saying that FEMA was like the most awesome thing in the world and throwing toilet paper at people. And then, uh, the, the mayor of San Juan, uh, who is like Donald Trump is evil and Puerto Ricans are dying. I don't care what your thoughts are about Trump or any of that stuff, but Trump uh, doing like throwing toilet paper at people as a meme is one of my favorite memes ever. Because that, that gets, there's one like at the, the Notre Dame, he's, he's like throwing in water. There's like there's unlimited possibilities of memes. So it's a non-political statement. <laughs> it did make for great meme material. It didn't make for great disaster relief material. And uh, while while FEMA was, I mean, there there was one incident where. Uh, Jay Z lent our coalition his plane. His, his the the amount of rich people who lend private jets during disaster relief is like an untold story. Like it's you could do a documentary on it. Um, <laughs> maybe someone should. I mean, it's, I mean, seriously, maybe not a documentary per se. Maybe just a podcast episode or something. But I mean, for how much the wealthy are maligned in some ways, justifiably, you know, depending on how they acquire that wealth and what they do with it, uh, you don't really see that many stories, at least not highly publicized. Of celebrities, because uh, I never even heard about this. It's not like Jay, even Jay Z doesn't seem like he's you know trying to promote necessarily all the good acts that they're doing. So that's really and and a lot of them do that, and they specifically don't want promotion. Like they don't they don't want the uh, attention. They just they do it. JD's <clears throat> listening. Jay Z's listening right now, going son of a bitch, Dan. <laughs> right, I'm trying to be. I was anonymous. <laughs> um. So he lent a, he lent the coalition his his private plane, and we flew uh you know twenty something thousand pounds of supplies to. Uh, we actually had to like tell the government that Rosie Rhodes was another airport and like they could land planes on it. Uh, and so we <laughs> yeah, they didn't know that they had the they, airport? apparently they were just like, no, San Juan is the only airport. And and that's it. And it's like, no, Rosie Rhodes is a military base. 
you should know about this, but whatever. So we, <laughs> you're like a mayor or something. You should probably. Anyway. So we were landing planes there. And at one point we had to defend the supplies at gunpoint um, from FEMA because they wanted to confiscate them. And, and uh, very similar to like Brent's experience with FEMA. Uh, we actually had the Puerto Rican national guard come in and like escort the supplies off the plane. So FEMA wouldn't get them. Um, that is amazing. And like the the mayor's the mayor of San so the 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 FEMA under Trump was essentially they were scared of being blamed for another Katrina. And so their response was to lock everything down and to control everything so they couldn't possibly be be looked at as bad guys. Um <clears throat> well uh, that uh at least from my perspective did not work. And uh um the so while FEMA was doing that, and but you know, there's a hospital ship sitting off of the coast of Puerto Rico that was not taking anybody because there wasn't any clear guidelines on how to take people to the Navy hospital ship. But that, that's a different story. So <clears throat> uh the the mayor of San Juan refused to deliver the supplies unless they were Teamsters driving the trucks. So so the two people who were like having a war on CNN and Fox over people in Puerto Rico were both screwing people in Puerto Rico and the official death toll was the most infuriating thing while we were working on the ground in Puerto Rico is like 78 or 69 or some ridiculous number. I mean, there were hospital morgues that had more than 79 people in them that, that we knew about that, that were these people had died because of the hurricane. And, uh, and that's just like one morgue. I mean, the, the, the total of, of, you know, 1700, 1600 that came out recently, that's a lot more accurate, but, but can you imagine being on the ground in Puerto Rico? Uh, we went to Juncos, we delivered, um, water in backpacks and, uh, we delivered like basic supplies two and a half weeks after the hurricane, because that's when FEMA would allow us to go in. And these people hadn't seen basic supplies for two and a half weeks. I mean, the, the, it isn't just, I mean, we, it is so hard to like express the frustration and anger that we had at the federal government for frankly, uh, sorry for children, cover your ears, watching their own ass, um, over this rather than, uh, actually helping people. And I'd say FEMA is directly responsible for at least three quarters of the deaths in Puerto Rico, which were totally preventable had supplies been able to get on the ground and two people, right away and and the other 20 at least 20 percent of the other deaths were a corrupt puerto rican mayors uh who were also confiscating supplies so it's like the government uh bills itself as this this uh uh place for people in need to go and then when people are actually in need it's everyone for themselves and the government takes care of its own and and that's it and that's what we saw in puerto rico but we saw the same kind of stuff coming out of Texas, the exact same stuff. We got the exact same kind of reports of death tolls being ridiculously low. And uh, we weren't we were told that our volunteers were not being allowed in because of uh, violence and looters and things like that. When really it was they were really concerned. Uh, we were told by military contractors there that or, or our volunteers were. Again, everything I get is secondhand because I'm in North Carolina in my underwear. But those guys were getting told <laughs> regularly that they weren't allowed in because of all the dead bodies and things that government just did not want anybody to see. Yeah, you can't get in to save people because there's too many dead bodies. So we'll let more dead bodies happen. And, and they'll define the um, death tolls. Like, okay, so it is reasonable, I think, uh, that uh, if the power goes out and someone is reliant on a respirator or they're reliant on dialysis to live and the power goes out because of a hurricane, if they die, then that is a death attributed to the hurricane. Like that seems to be a fairly reasonable uh, assessment, but the way that governments have decided to attribute death tolls so their politicians don't look bad is like you basically have to get hit by a flying telephone pole in a hurricane to be considered a quote unquote death from the hurricane. Uh, and, and the, the insult yeah, flood that deaths did not count. Flood deaths do not count. Right. So that that, that seems correct. like a pretty direct correlation. Uh, in, hurricane caused flood, in, flood caused death. 
We were told we were told by the Cajun Navy that that uh, in Lumberton, North Carolina, they were not counting flood deaths in the death tolls. I would think that would be one of the main death tolls. There were bodies being pulled out of cars, flooded cars, and those were I called something else. They were not not part of the main death toll. Uh, this illustrates just the irrational, and I think because there's so many perverse incentives in government, primarily for politicians to just look good enough to, to stay in office, that, I mean, something that on its own surface is so irrational. I mean, it's so irrational because it's you're just reporting what nature did. You know what I mean? It, this should not be something that should require a cover-up. And yet, because of the way politics are, and it's all about image— Numbers are bad. Numbers of deaths are bad. It doesn't matter if it was nature that caused it. Politicians are are incentivized to just make things look as good as possible, regardless of if, if, if the cause even makes sense for them to cover up. And I mean, no one is going to think, oh, a politi- well, I shouldn't say some people don't think that politicians cause hurricanes because that's, that's a whole different subject. But <laughs> that's for your conspiracy <laughs> corner. Time to, yeah, we don't have time to get into that one. But. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't mean it in this way necessarily. But yeah, I mean, it's just it's an, another example. And I think from all three of you, I've heard examples of, of a concept that can be very difficult to, I think, portray to people sometimes. And that's the idea that sometimes the best thing that the government can do, and by sometimes, I personally mean always. I just don't always say this <laughs> to newbies. But really, for the, for the most part, the best thing that the government can often do, especially in disaster situations, is just not do anything. It's just get out of the way. Now, I'm not talking about individual acts when there's people that happen to work for government agencies that that go and and save people. Even though I might disagree with the funding method and the organizational method, good. I'm still happy when people are saved. But the other end of that is all – and we've heard so many stories from all of you – the preventative end of that, where they can they monopolize the entire thing. Uh, great, send in the National Guard to save people. Don't stop other people from doing the same. And that's that's somehow they're incentivized to prevent this quote unquote PR competition from even helping people on the ground. It's, it's an awful incentive. Yeah, and I I think I just want to highlight I want to highlight what you said because I think it's important to understand that when the government steps in and says anytime there's a disaster we're going to take care of it. Anytime there's uh, there's someone who's in trouble we're going to take care of it it disincentivizes everyone else from getting involved when it's everyone else who will be the most effective at helping those, helping the people in need in those moments. Um, and so I just, I find, I, I find frustration with that as well. I, I wish that when the, when, when, whenever something bad happens, whenever there's a disaster, I wish that, that there was room for individuals to get involved because I think those are, that's going to be the be- everyone's best shot at, um, at having lower death tolls and having more effective help. Right, I think that might be a better approach uh, marketing-wise for a lot of libertarians to take. Even though I want a lot of these programs to end, maybe we spend less time advocating their end, at least to, to everybody else out there. I mean, I'm not saying we shouldn't advocate their end, but at least start with the point of, okay, keep doing what you're doing. But let us do it too, and and then naturally. But there's there's a reason they don't do that. <laughs> but but natural naturally, which is kind of what what you guys are doing um, overall. But specifically, what Dan is doing with We Do Better is trying to literally just show here's why we do it better. Just let us do it, and then everyone will see. Oh, this works better. And then but, but the problem being problem being for politicians that is what will crowd them out of the <laughs> scenario. And then what do they do? Go get a job? I mean, <laughs> what, in the left? actual workforce. I mean, can you imagine? Like, uh, I don't know. I, I do have an amazing fantasy of just like retired politicians who are re- irrelevant once we like stop, you know, caring about that stuff. And they're all just like working at Walmart, greeting people. And, you know, we're nice to them. and They're nice to us. But we all look at each other and we kind of know what went on. And, uh... Well, it's, it's like, uh, you know, it, during Hurricane Harvey, uh, according to FEMA's own press release, um, the, the U.S. Coast Guard uh, with a seven point six billion dollar budget per year. The U.S. Coast Guard rescued like 2,000 or so people during Hurricane Harvey in 2017. And, you know, that is applaudable. And I know that Coast Guard rescue drivers go through a lot of training. They they did some amazing work. They rescued a lot of people who wouldn't be alive today if it weren't for the Coast Guard. At the same time, uh, volunteers from the Cajun Navy operating off of basically gas money uh, because the operation was so sketch. Um, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that in kind of thrown together. The operation was, was so sketchy at the beginning of Hurricane Harvey. Like they didn't even have a donate link. Like people could not donate to the Cajun Navy. They couldn't figure it out. Mm-hmm. And um, like they were operating off of gas money and they rescued 3,500 people. And so you, you look at stuff like that and you're like, you know, people see 
the scene. So they see the, the spent cost on the Coast Guard, 7.6 billion, 2,000 lives. What they don't see is the unseen. If, if we were able to direct that 7.6 billion to an organization that did a better job, uh, how many more people would we have saved? How many less people would have died? I mean, that's the unseen. It's not just about money. It's a cost in lives. And uh, whether you're looking at disaster relief, you're looking at missing children, you're looking at food security, whatever you're looking at, I think it's imperative for libertarians to uh, just step up to the challenge and and uh and do do some research uh like don't you can't just go out there and say government bad magical free market fairy good uh you 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 gotta go out there you gotta go out there and do some research we've done some work for you if you're lazy at we do better.org you can look at some examples but you really gotta say I'm a libertarian because I want to solve your problems better than the government does. Not I'm a libertarian because I want to be in a cabin with a garden and a gun. I want in Montana and I want people to leave me alone because I want to be on a boat um, in the middle of the ocean. Uh, <laughs> I didn't see that. <laughs> I was just thinking. <laughs> no, I mean, it's it, it, yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I was, that? I was going to say that I, I, one of the ways that I like to think about, about these things is the way that movements start, the way that people get behind movements that take, that actually take off and get momentum behind them is that there are, there's a group of people that's for something. And one of, one of the mistakes that libertarians I think often get into is they spend a lot of time talking about what they're against. Um, and that's one of the reasons I love what Dan is doing. I absolutely love what Dan is doing because he's talking about what he's for. So like when it comes, to- it's not called don't do this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> that might not be as catchy. Suck, yeah. Just don't do this thing. <laughs> that's it. Worse. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, just to bring an example to these, like when you look at the the pro-lifers, the pro-choice movement, they're both very powerful because they're both in favor of something. And whenever you have something, if it was like pro-lifers, anti-life, the anti-life people would be would be just left it to the dust. Is, is it persuasion? Is it, exactly, is it ironic? Exactly is it about. too ironic to say that anti-life people would be dead? <laughs> if All they right. were consistent. <laughs> Yeah, but it's such a libertarian not, yeah, thing not to, to take do, a stance to point out on issue, but you, you understand what I'm saying. Like when you're for something, yeah. there's it's it's easier to rally a group of people. It's more inspiring than uh, yeah. It's a persuasion tactic. Exactly. I mean, pe- being against something just connotates negativity, and people mm-hmm. don't get excited. I mean, literally, like they don't. They, the chemicals in their body don't produce the good chemicals when there's negativity. But when there's positivity, pro something, pro something. Like we literally produce better chemicals that make you then want to hear our message more. Yeah. So it's. I mean, we're talking biology now, but it's, it's all true in terms of how to better persuade people to things. And that's you know, I don't do this show to just you know talk about it amongst ourselves. I do it because I want other people to take these examples and use them and repeat them and learn from them and learn the the, the different methods that actually work in the real world. Because as much as I love the philosophy, it's it's what I do. It's why I started this podcast originally was really to explore the philosophy more. But if we're not demonstrating it and we're not providing the example and and, and learning the best ways to persuade people that it's it's correct and that it works, then you know we're really just I hate the term, but you know we're just a, a social club. Mm-hmm. We're just you know we're just talking about things when we're making when we're having actions and we can actually point to them and show a positive vision, not just a vision results like actual things happening uh it's a game changer and that's what was so amazing i mean dan was talking about how it was so no one knew how to uh, even get the cajun navy money at first and i didn't know at first either and then suddenly they were on the donor app and it became the easiest thing to do mm-hmm. to donate to the cajun navy in seconds and we got so many people donating to them because so many people wanted to didn't know how and then suddenly the the app lets them do it in, in literally like two presses of a button i mean it's just incredible what um both the concept of freedom and also new technologies are, are enabling us to do. I'll just throw one one more thing out there. The there is a attempt. The, the negativity is so tempting because there is a mm-hmm. small oh, group yeah. of people who love that and will rally right. behind that with enthusiasm. And so there there is that that like temptation to to kind of point out the negative to go dark. Exactly, because so people people like that. You know, there's a small group of people who will really be passionate about that. But it's the it's the positive stuff that really can can get you really, really far, especially with some of the things that are important to accomplish. Yeah, I mean, you could write a really negative tweet and it might get a hundred retweets 
and it changed the minds of none of those hundred people. Oh yeah, it, 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 they already agreed with it, and it probably changed the minds of nobody else either. But some really, I'm just using a tweet as a random thing here, but a me- method of communication. But some really positive tweet, it might even get like less t- retweets and likes, but it might actually like inspire one person. Mm-hmm. So what do you want to do? Inspire zero people, but get a lot of you know social media feel good for yourself, or actually change like one person at a time? I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's what's ultimately going to change everything. Well, it's, for us. it's like. I'm in it for the likes. Uh, I was just saying, I'm in it for the likes. (laughs) (laughs) Now, everybody, go to Brent's Facebook and just start liking everything. (laughs) Facebook.com slash Brent DeRitter is on a boat, I think is the actual thing. You guys guys are talking about language now, so selling the idea of liberty is is really important. And that shock jock style messaging, that we hate the state messaging – it's exciting for libertarians that are already libertarians. Right. It does nothing for the movement and negativity just doesn't have the gas to get you where you're trying to go, man. It'll, it'll get you like, you know, negativity will get you going a hundred miles an hour to like win the short drag race or something, but then you're out of gas and you're not going to get to, you know, around the globe of Liberty. I don't know. I'm working mm-hmm. with some weird analogy here. <laughs> with, with race cars. I'm in fast and furious now. I don't know what's going on, but it's like, uh, like the mental model that I, uh, I really like. So Arthur Brooks, uh, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with him, but, um, mm-hmm. he's, uh, he runs, uh, or he used to run, uh, the American enterprise Institute and a uh, very prominent guy talks a lot about, um, messaging and, and how to message Liberty. And, and he, uh, just wrote a book called uh, Love Your Enemies, uh, now available on Amazon. Uh, click my affiliate link. But um, no, he he uh, he talks about there are four groups of people on any issue. There are the uh, uh, apathetic, they really could care less. Uh, and that's most people on, on, on issues. And uh, the fact is they're not going to care enough to do anything about it. Probably not worth reaching out to. Uh, there's the uh, choir, uh, the true believers, which are like, okay, you got your hundred retreats, but did you change anybody's mind? Uh, there's the uh, persuadables, and then there's the hostiles. And uh, what he actually recommends, uh, and I'll add on to it a little bit, he recommends engaging the hostiles in view of the persuadables. Because when you engage the hostiles with uh, grace and with kindness and persuadables are watching, that's how you're going to convince people. That That's how they're going to listen. And so... That's fascinating. M- my like recommendation to libertarians is uh, don't just engage the hostiles, but when you engage them, engage them with better solutions. So if they're talking about Medicare for all, don't just say how bad it sucks and you think AOC is is dumb. Uh, but but go in and say, hey, here's Christian Healthcare Ministries. Hey, here's uh, Clinica Mi Pueblo. Here here are the solutions that are already out there. Uh, or even even if if you don't have those, like. Here's just the solutions and how they would work. Engage the hostiles with solutions and and they might not listen to you. They might not care, but the people who are watching, especially for those Facebook warriors, people on Twitter, you know, social media, we all spend time on it. Uh, the people who are watching, they're going to start listening. And, and I think that we have, I agree with Arthur Brooks that, that we have one of the most powerful systems uh, known to man. Uh, that is the, the ability for people to raise themselves out of poverty and uh, uh, to, to have a new life for them and their children. And when we're just like saying taxation is theft, uh, you state is slime, uh, LOL, uh, we're, we're just not, we're not getting anywhere. <laughs> and so I, I think that if libertarians take one thing, it's that uh, the word libertarian is basically a swear word in America. And if, if you don't start changing your messaging so it isn't a swear word, the, the d- ideas will die with the swear word. And that's not something I want to see. Mm-hmm. Hey, friends, I got to take a quick pause here to tell you about another great libertarian podcast out there. It's called Free Man Beyond the Wall, hosted by the artist formerly known as Mance Raider, now known simply by his real name of Pete Raymond. And I got to tell you, Pete is a machine. This guy brings you a new episode of his own every single Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and he has done some absolutely fantastic in-depth interviews. He's had on everybody from Ron Paul to Thaddeus Russell to Phil Labonte, the lead singer of All That Remains, a very diverse group of guests, not always libertarians. He also did a great show with a Washington, D.C. 
insider lobbyist revealing a lot of the dirt that goes on behind the scenes in DC. He has done so many interviews that I have just said, darn, I wish I did this one myself. So I really do want to highly recommend checking out Freeman Beyond the Wall. You can find it over at freemanbeyondthewall.com as well as iTunes, Stitcher, and all those fancy podcatchers out there. One more thing I wanted to uh, toss out there for discussion uh, before we wind down here. Uh, all of you people, guy, all of you people, you you people, you guys, all of you guys on the show today, <laughs> all of you guys, he is. All of you guys have done something that a lot of people don't necessarily make they make the leap to. I think there's a lot of people out there that they see a problem, they think to themselves, "Here's the problem. I know what the problem is. I can even think of many solutions." And then they think, "Well, someone should go do that," <laughs> and then that kind of stops there. Uh, you three all saw the problem, thought of a solution, and then you instead of just hoping someone did it, you just did it. So I'm, I'm wondering if you could each kind of take a minute to give some advice to other passionate libertarians, or not not even necessarily libertarians, human beings, anybody out there really, who sees a problem and thinks to themselves, well, I don't really know how to form an organization. I don't know how to make an app. I don't know how to do any of this stuff. So hopefully someone will do it. What, what it would be your advice to those people on a little bit of the why and a little bit of the how they can take this lack of knowledge, but just the the uh, the sort of um, the the revealing of a problem to themselves and turn that into actual action and and, and create amazing change like all three of you have in your own way. Uh, I'll try to keep some semblance of order. So why don't we just start with Brent? Uh, look, man, I'm I am the ultimate I can't do it guy. Uh, I'm hanging out here. In- you just told me you're going to pick up and move on a boat. A boat. I don't know if I'd call you the ultimate can't do it guy, but but well, I'm, I'm a total luddite, man. I am. I am not a fan of technology. Technology is definitely not a fan of me. Uh, but my friends and I started a, a coalition for disaster relief again from our from our bedrooms, from our living rooms. There are people that are willing to help. If you've got an idea and you don't know how to get it done, reach out to the Liberty community. We get told that we're we're coldly logical, and that's true. And we get told that we have a tendency to be un, un, unempathetic. Jesus, words are hard tonight, huh? Uh, <laughs> yeah, unempathetic, sure. but and and it's true in some cases. And we do have a tendency to tell people that it's not our problem. But in general, libertarians are the most philanthropic people I have ever met. They're the most willing and ready to jump on board any project that they think is a better solution than government. And, and I, I can only really speak to libertarians, but if you guys have an idea, scream it from the roof to- rooftops and people will join in. Right. I mean, if you don't need to, if you don't know how to do the things or even know how to create the things, your point is just start saying that. <laughs> and, and and there are so many people out there with skills, especially in this community of, of logical nerds. I mean, there's people that know how to do just about anything. So I, I think that, that's a great point. Uh, Grant, what about you? Yeah, this is a good question. Uh, Cause I think there is, there's a lot of narratives that if that um, it's not easy to start something, it's not easy to do something. It's, it's not going to pay off or whatever. Um, and I, I would say that I, on the on the very the most basic level, if you just attempt to do something, you will already like yourself more. You will like your life more just by attempting to do it. Even if you fail, even if it doesn't get you where you want to go, just the the mere act of attempting to do something, to trying something, to trying to make the world just a tiny bit better, just doing that will make you feel way better than if you do nothing. Um, and I I think that if you keep that in mind, um, you'll find a. a you'll find a, a much more fulfilling path ahead of you. All right, Dan, why don't you uh, bring us home here? I, I love Grant's answer. It hits, hits me right in my, my heart and soul. Um, what that guy said. All right, good night. Guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I think that you need to ask yourself what your why is. Uh, so if you're listening to this episode and uh, you're like, I want to do something, you need to ask yourself, well, why do I want to do it? And you might say, well, it's because I've been hearing about all this stuff. And then, then you need to ask yourself why again. And then you need to ask yourself why again. And, and you need to get down to what is your personal story of why you care. You know, for me, I got in because I watched a YouTube video about a, an act that was taking away civil liberties. Uh, and I just, I'd grown up reading about the Third Reich. And I, I was like, I don't want America to, to turn to that type of tyranny. I want to get involved. It, you need to ask yourself why. What is your why? What is your personal story? And when you get to that why, then then just start telling people your story. 
Just start telling people your story of why you care. You don't even have to start building a movement. Just start saying, hey, you know, I care. Uh, you know, I care about affordable health care because my premiums went up so high that my family couldn't afford them under, you know, the Affordable Care Act. And, and I, uh, I just want other solutions and, and I want to work on that. Uh, and you'll find people around you who care. And, and when you have a community of people who care, organizing them is nothing. You know, there are organizations out there like the Grassroots Leadership Academy, a little pitch to the people I work for. Uh, they will come in, they will do free presentations on like how to organize, how to get people together. If you're part of a local group and you want to get, get a part of that, just look up the Grassroots Leadership Academy. They'll come in and do it. But as far as like the individual my why was strong enough to get me up in the morning. I, I knew nothing. I was a, I was a freshman in college. Couldn't I mean, drink. couldn't even drink. And you know how <laughs> good looking the girls are at like party schools. Like I had all of these, <laughs> you know, di different options <laughs> out there that, uh, in, instead of doing this, but my why was so important. It got me up in the morning. I knew nothing about speaking. Uh, my first public uh, speech, I practiced like 80 times and I still like read from a script. So like th this, all people need to see is your passion. If they see your passion, if you know, they know your why, like Gret said, just try. And like Brent said, that there are people in the Liberty community who will come out, who will see you, who will want to be a part of that. And, uh, you know, you have ideas that no one else has and we need to hear from you. And, and really just a small group of people listening to this podcast who do that uh, just, just can make enormous difference and enormous waves. And, and we'd love to have you join us. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, if all the people listening to this podcast today, if even three get inspired enough to do the kind of work you guys have done, we've literally just created humongous amounts of change in the world. I mean, I mean, and if only three of you, I mean, just think about that. So thank you guys so much for coming on today and, and joining me for this. This is a show I've been wanting to do for a while. I've really wanted to bring together more people who are just really just creating, uh, creating the, the world that they want to see. Uh, and they're not just, you know, philosophizing about it. Philosophizing is great. It's what I do all the time, but actually taking action and changing the world is what we're going to have to do not just because it's the right thing to do, but also because if we want to see the world change and not just you know individual pockets here and there, we really have to show other people that it can work and that it does work. And you guys are all doing a tremendous job with that. So I just want to thank you again for all the work that you're doing and for coming on the show today. Uh, thank you so much. And I do want to encourage everyone to uh, everyone listening to this. If there's one show notes episode you go to, go to the show notes for this show. It's episode 399. You can find the show notes at lionsofliberty.com slash 399. I'm going to link to all of the work that you guys do. Uh, shoot me any links that I might have missed, anything related to your announcements I can, that I can include, but I'll link to all your organizations and uh, make sure everyone gets more and more aware of the fine work that you guys are doing and hopefully either helps you guys out with uh, you know a lot of the projects you guys are working on or maybe gets inspired to start their own. Either way, so glad to have you guys out there uh, as really shining examples of, uh, of what of what a libertarian society society can and uh is in many ways and <laughs> so and uh and and join the lions of liberty pride damn it mark's been working at this for i don't know how long and y'all y'all need to get on board five the, and the a half train. years give or take <laughs> yes uh thank you to my unpaid promoter dan johnson you can go to uh patreon.com slash lions of liberty for more information about how to support this show as well if you run out of money after supporting all the great causes you've heard about today uh <laughs> thank you guys so much keep up the great work Keep on roaring, gentlemen. All right, friends, and I hope you enjoyed that show, that roundtable, libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor style with some of my favorite people in the libertarian community, the people that are really out there getting things done. Uh, talking, doing podcasts is great. Running for office and trying to change people's minds that way, that's perfectly wonderful too. Uh, but the people that are actually out there showing how a libertarian society not only can hypothetically work, but how it does work, how it does work right now through their efforts. These are some people that I'm just so glad to be able to highlight. I was able to have them on this roundtable format that I do love doing oh so much. So again, today was the 399th episode of this program, and that means a couple things. One, of course, is that you can find the very extensive show notes over at lionsofliberty.com slash 399. I will link to all the organizations that we discussed in today's show and all the great projects that my guests today have been working on out there. Everything is worthy of at least checking out, uh, if not your direct financial support. 
Also, another announcement. If you can't do math, let me do it for you, because this is episode 399. Next episode, next Monday, is my 400th episode of this flagship Lions of Liberty podcast. I probably wouldn't still be here doing 400 episodes if it weren't for my colleagues, Brian McWilliams and John Oderman, hopping on board and really turning this into the amazing libertarian variety show that it is. So if you're somehow new to this program and just tuning in, like I said, it's not just me here every Monday. I do have Brian McWilliams on Wednesdays slapping you upside the head with his hilarious take on comedy, current events, and liberty on Electric Liberty Land, while John Odermatt wraps things up every Friday with his extremely inspiring and hard-hitting look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. They have really helped me grow this show over the years, as have our amazing patrons, our supporters on Patreon, which you can find over at patreon.com slash lionsofliberty, where we do all sorts of bonus audio all the time. So many shows. Degenerate Gamblers. Conspiracy Corner. There will be another one coming soon. I know we've had some delay, but very soon there will be a new edition of Conspiracy Corner, as well as a new edition of The League of Liberty, a very special Patreon show that I do with Chris Spangle of We Are Libertarians, Roger Paxson of the Lava Flow Podcast, and Johnny Adams of Blast Off with Johnny Adams and Raylene Lightheart. These are some of my best friends in the Liberty Movement. We had a blast hanging out at Porkfest last year. I encourage you to come to Porkfest this year, where all the Lions of Liberty will be, along with Dave Smith, part of the problem. Scott Horton's going to be there. It's going to be a freaking blast. So do get your tickets to Porkfest. Head over to Porkfest.com and check that out. And I highly, highly recommend the VIP tickets, because then you get to hang out with us in the VIP tent and have all sorts of fun times. But all of that aside, I do want to wrap things up and close by announcing what you'll be hearing next week on episode 400. I'm going to be doing a little roundtable discussion once again, this time on a very specific subject. We're going to be talking about the subject of, drumroll please, abortion. Yes, what better way to celebrate 400 episodes than to talk about a completely non-controversial subject? But no, abortion is one subject that even libertarians are very divided on. There are very different views on this, and I'm bringing in three people who have very strong views on this issue. One is Walter Block, who created the evictionism theory of abortion, meant to sort of compromise, and not not really say compromise, but he'll explain it more next episode, but to, I guess, reconcile might be the better word, the pro-life and pro-choice positions within the libertarian movement, within the context of individual rights and property rights. I then have Avins O'Brien, a good friend of the show. She's been on a few times, activist out here in Los Angeles, longtime libertarian. She'll be taking the pro-choice position. And finally, representing the pro-life position, the Christian conservative himself, <laughs> Our friend Dave Smith of Part of the Problem has agreed to come on and represent the pro-life position, a stance he has really taken on very strongly in the last year or so upon having his own child, which really has helped to shape his views on the issue, as many listeners of his show know. So it's going to be a very, very interesting episode. I'm so excited I was able to bring this thing together for you. Tune in next week, and of course, tune in this Wednesday to Brian on Electric Liberty Land and to John on Felony Friday on Friday. And until next time, my friends, live love! and live free.